here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to talk today about a mystery. Paul's going to transition his discussion. He was talking about Jesus Christ. He's now going to focus on the issue of a mystery, the mystery of Christ. So we're going to talk about that as we go through uh, this passage. This is not the only letter that he talks about the mystery. And, and you, some of you are like, mystery. Well, when you talk about a mystery here, we're not talking about some secret that you have to seek out. We're talking about something that wasn't revealed until later. That's what he refers to as something that wasn't revealed until later. And I'll be flat out honest with you, the mystery has to do with you and I. So when you look at the concept of mystery in the New Testament, the mystery of Christ, what it's talking about is you and I. What do you mean you and I, George? Well, what it's talking about is the mystery that was unknown to the Old Testament was the concept that Gentiles would have the opportunity to experience salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are the mystery. And even to this day, okay, I mean, forget all the political niceties and everything and all that stuff that's going on. To the, to the die-hard Orthodox Jew, the concept of Gentiles being able to experience salvation is not possible to them. Because in the Old Testament, very rarely and vaguely was there any talk about the nations being blessed. But for primarily, the focus was on who? Israel, period, and being God's people, and experiencing His salvation, and His promises, and so forth. So, we are the mystery. Alright, so let's just say that way it is right now. We are the mystery. Okay, everybody understand? So when we talk about the mystery in the New Testament, we are the mystery of Christ. So let's go through this together. We're going to look at basically six verses today. Let's start off with verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church. So he's going to talk about his sufferings, first of all, Paul's suffering. So let's notice his joy. Paul expressed that he was joyful that he suffered for them. All right, just, I want you to take a moment. Take a moment, look at your Bibles, read verse 24 to yourself. Real quick, just do that real quick. Read verse 24 to yourself. And as you're reading verse 24 to yourself, picture yourself saying this. Would you say something like this? Do you know what I mean? Think about what he's saying there in verse 24. I'll read it to you again. Would you say this? I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, how many of you could say, yeah, I can, I can, I can resonate with that. I can, yeah, that sounds like me, George. Yeah. How many of you would say that? Not a single one of us. In fact, our initial responses when we look at that is to say, are you nuts? Am I the only one who thinks that way? 
I mean, the reality is, is listen to what Paul's talking about here. And what he's talking about, one of the things is, is he is, he is joyful that he had to suffer for them. He is joyful that he went through what he went through for them. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You need to understand, we're not talking about that he suffered with a hangnail. Or that he suffered with a bad hair day. Or that he had a headache. He maybe had a headache after being beaten. Do do, do you understand what I'm saying? We're talking about somebody who was thrown in prison, who was shipwrecked, who was beaten and afflicted, accused. I mean, we're talking about somebody who was left for dead on one occasion, stoned. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when we're talking about him suffering... We're talking about somebody who's gone through the meat grinder, haven't we? And here's what he says. I'm joyful that I suffered for you. Wow. Let's, let's go on here. He understood that his suffering for them was to be expected in the ministry of Christ. So let's just stop for a moment. He understood. See, Paul has an understanding here that I would say most North American Christians don't have an understanding of. And that is, is if you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to what? Suffer. Did you understand what I'm saying? If you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through difficulties. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through sickness. You're going to go through what is going on. He understood that his suffering for them was to be expected. In fact, look at what he says there. It almost blows my mind when I read what he says there. Look at what he says, verse 24, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction. So it's like, I'm experiencing more suffering because I know that I haven't suffered enough. Now, can any of us say that? Like, hey, have you suffered enough last year? You're like, man, I'm glad I got through last year. Hope I don't have to go through that this year. He's saying, he's filling up in his life what's missing in suffering. For Christ. Man, what a perspective. You and I would be like, wow, where's he coming from? Here's what I want you to see. He understood that his suffering was for their sake as a church. He understood that what he's going through was for their sake. Now let me just stop for a moment. I think this is the key for us to understand where he's coming from. I think this is the key for us to understand where he's coming from. What do you mean, George? Well, how many of you have had to make sacrifices for your kids? I mean, they didn't know it. You didn't tell them that. But you made sacrifices. You had to go through difficult times to make sure that they were okay. You know what I'm talking about? And, And were you begrudging it? Like, I can't believe I have to do this for them. Well, you might tell them that to get their get their attitude adjusted or something, but internally you're not thinking that. You're thinking, I'll do what i got to do for my kids, right? Isn't that the way we are? Because what's motivating us? Love. Okay, now do you understand where Paul's coming from? These churches, these believers, are his what? Spiritual children. And he's willing to what for them? Suffer. In fact, he's not just willing to suffer. He's, he's, his attitude is, is, I haven't suffered enough yet for you. 
Because he understands, he understands that it was for their sake, the church. Did you understand what I'm saying? It was for their sake, the church. For their sake. So then notice now, verses 25 and 26, we're going to see the ministry of the, of the mystery. He's going to talk about, why did he go through this suffering? He's going to talk about his ministry here. Look at what he says, verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is revealed to his saints. Okay, so let's talk about, first of all, his stewardship or his responsibility. Paul was a servant to the church because of God's commission. He was a servant to the church because of God's commission. Now, I gave you a couple different scripture passages there to kind of help reinforce that concept there. Galatians 1.1, where Paul identifies himself to the Galatians, he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he's saying, look, I'm an apostle, I'm a minister of the gospel, not because... Man made me that, or because of the efforts of man, it's because somebody made me do this. Who made me do this? God did. You understand? And then if you go back, Acts chapter 9 is actually the story. Remember the story? Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard to kick against the goad. So trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So, I mean, here, that's an amazing story, because in chapter 9, when you meet Saul, that's Paul's other name, he wasn't a friend of the church. In fact, he was heading to Damascus from Jerusalem to do what? Anybody know what he was heading to Damascus for? It wasn't for a party. Yeah, it was to kill Christians, arrest them, bring them back, torture them. Do you understand? Imprison them, result in their death. So he's he in no way is your typical follower. He's excited about Jesus and he has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus says, hey, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? So the reality is, what he's talking about here is, is that God made him, commissioned him to be this leader, okay? To be this servant. Now, Paul was commissioned to make the word of God fully known. Now, here's what he was supposed to do. His commission was to make the word of God fully known. This is his responsibility. To make the word of God fully known. Let's go on. The mystery that Paul has stewardship over was hidden from the ages and generation before. So this mystery was hidden, okay, was hidden from the generations and the ages before. So in the Old Testament, nobody had the understanding of this. Okay? They didn't comprehend it. In fact, even in Paul's time, they were rejecting it because it just didn't seem real to them. What they understood was what they understood in the Old Testament. Okay? So he's saying this mystery that he has stewardship or responsibility over to proclaim 
was hidden from the ages before. So what is he saying here? This mystery is now being revealed to saints and believers. So this mystery is now being revealed to saints and believers. Now, let's stop for a moment. When we talk about saints, who is that? Yeah, believers. It's not some dead guy that we make a saint. Okay? It is believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? So he's using two terms to basically describe the same type of people. So believers and saints. You're a saint. You know what a saint means, don't you? Anybody have a concept of what saint means? It means holy one. You're a holy one. Do you realize that? Well, I ain't no saint. Yeah, you may not be a saint practically, but positionally you are. Okay? In Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You're a holy one. So this mystery now is being revealed to saints and believers. Alright? To saints and believers. So then notice now, he's going to reveal to us in verse 27 what the mystery is. Alright, let's look at verse 27. Look at what he says there. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Alright, so let's look here. It's God's choice. It was God's will to make known the mystery to believers. First thing he's saying here, it's God's will to make known what this mystery is to you and I as believers. Alright, so it's not something secret that you gotta, you gotta figure out on your own. He's revealing it. He's telling us what this mystery is. Okay? He's making, it's his will to make it known. It's his will that the mystery is available to the Gentiles as well. So it's his will that this mystery would be revealed to the Gentiles as well. So who's the Gentiles, folks? Yeah, it's you and I. Okay? So it's his will that this mystery be revealed, and that this mystery would be revealed to you and I. So then notice now, the mystery is described as glorious riches or a treasure. So this is something very precious. This is something amazing. This is something very powerful that you and I need to understand and grasp. And again, it's not a puzzle to be solved. The mystery is not a puzzle to be solved. It's not something like, oh, I think I figured it out. No, no, he's revealing it to you. It just was hidden before. It's now being made manifest. It's now being exposed in the New Testament. Okay? So this is what the mystery is. So then look look with me now. What is the message of the mystery? The mystery is twofold. So there's two parts to this mystery. This is what's so awesome when you think about it. Let's look at what the two parts are. First part, believers would be unified with Christ. Look at what it says there, Colossians. The riches of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The first part of the mystery is Jesus Christ in you. Now let me just stop for a moment. 
Does everybody understand that when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, who entered into your life? Holy Spirit. Now let's just stop for a moment. Let's talk about that for a moment. You think back to what you knew about the Old Testament. Anything like that happened in the Old Testament? He didn't come into them. He came on them, empowered them. But would he leave? Yes, it wasn't permanent. Okay? Here, the mystery is, is that Jesus Christ, God himself, enters into your life, is unified with you. Isn't that an awesome mystery? Okay, so stop for a moment. He describes it as glorious riches and a treasure. He describes the mystery, the first, this mystery, both parts, as being something very precious. Do you realize that God living in you is something very precious and spectacular? That we have been able to understand a mystery that was actually hidden long before. This is awesome. God himself lives within you. Like, okay, remember, remember years ago it was a fad, uh, you know, it was based on the Sheldon's novel called In His Steps. It was the WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? How many remember that? You got the, the wristband? Somebody made a lot of money off of that, didn't they? Okay? What would Jesus do? That was the concept. What, what, do I, what would Jesus do in this situation? You know what? That's theologically incorrect. You should be asking yourself, not what would Jesus do in this situation. The question you need to ask yourself is, would I do this if Jesus were here? And you know what? He is here because he lives with what? In you. Did you understand what I'm saying? That will blow your mind if you're a believer to realize that God is with you. Why do you think in Corinthians, he tells them, to abstain from sexual immorality because when they, because in the Corinthian culture, think about having a city like that. A large population of the city were prostitutes. And as part of their religious exercise of the Gentiles, they would go and engage in sex with these temple priestess so that they could worship their God. And so Paul's telling them, when you join yourself to a harlot, or when you join yourself to sexual immorality, you are joining Christ to that activity as well. Does that realize that? So what we could take an overall principle there is that when you and I sin, it's like Jesus is sinning with us. That would blow your mind if you think about that, wouldn't it? See, that's the mystery. The mystery is, is that Christ is in you. You were unified with Christ. That's the first part. Anybody got a question about that? Because That blows my mind thinking about that. Christ in you. That's the mystery. Isn't that awesome? The, the reality is, is that that's the first part. Now here's the second part. Unity with Christ brings hope of future glorification. Christ in you, the second part says, the hope of glory. Now what is the hope of glory? It's talking about your hope of glory. The mystery is, is that, and, and, and we're included in that. Remember, he wanted it revealed to the Gentiles, is that with Jesus Christ in your life, following him, you now have a hope for what? Future glorification. 
What does that mean, George? That's a big theological word. Glorification. Anybody have any clue what that means? Glorification. Here's what glorification means. It's actually the third part of the salvation process. Do you realize that salvation is a threefold process? You, first of all, are justified the moment that you commit to follow Jesus Christ. You give your life to him. You're justified. What does that mean? You are made righteous. The second part is, is you're sanctified. What does that mean? You, you are made holy, but that goes over a process. So have you noticed that over time God's working on your stuff? Whittling away at your attitudes and whittling away at you and whittling away at, at, at everything. Because he's making you holy. And the third part is, none of us have experienced the third part. Nobody's reached, the third part is perfection. And that only happens when? When you're dead. That's right, Bruce, when you're dead. Because then you will be glorified, you'll receive a whole brand new body. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that, it's not just, the, the mystery is not just Christ in us now. It's the hope of future glory that we also have. That's the mystery. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the mystery. And that's a precious, powerful mystery for you and I. So he goes on now and looks at the message of Christ. Look with me at verse 28 and 29. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to the working which works in me mightily. So three things I want you to see here. First of all, his message. Paul states that his message is Jesus Christ. The message is Jesus Christ. So let me just stop for a moment. A lot of people get scared about evangelism because our whole concept of evangelism is wrong. What do you mean, George? Well, our whole concept of evangelism is that we want to get people to pray a prayer. We want them to get saved, right? Well, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to understand something. Who saves people? That's Jesus. The message that you and I are to proclaim is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, they have to do something with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? They have to recognize who he is and make a commitment to follow him. That's what salvation is. You can pray prayers without making a commitment. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I just came up to you and said, do you want to go to hell? Not many people want to go to hell. I mean, there's an occasional idiot that says it's going to be a party. But the reality is not many people, they'll do what it takes and they'll pray your prayer. And sometimes, folks, they'll pray your prayer just to get you to shut up. Do you know what I'm saying? And they had no intention. They just thought, let's get the preacher out of the house or get this guy who thinks he's a preacher out of my house. Coming to Christ is understanding who the person of Jesus Christ is, that he's God, that he died for them, and that salvation is following him. Making a commitment to follow him. Hey, so, so, so let me just stop for a moment. Asking Jesus into your heart? How many of you have heard that statement? Ask Jesus into your heart? Folks, that's not in the Bible. Nowhere does it say about asking Jesus into your heart. 
Nowhere. You will not find that anywhere in the scripture. It's not a question of asking Jesus. You're asking people to commit their lives to who? Jesus. To follow him. Okay? So the message he's presenting to them is Jesus Christ. Let's go on here. Their purpose. He proclaimed Jesus in order to warn men and to teach wisdom. So I'm proclaiming Jesus. Here's what I'm doing when I'm proclaiming Jesus. I am warning people that there is a consequence for their what? For their sins. What's the consequence? Yeah, death. Hell. So when I'm proclaiming Jesus, I'm very much proclaiming what Jesus is saying. Look, you need to come to me or you're going to hell. So you're warning men. And let me just stop for a moment. Is everybody going to be happy about that message? Everybody going to be happy? They're going to be like, oh man, I'm so glad you told me that. I did not know. No. Nobody wants to be told that the stuff that they're doing is causing them to go to hell. They think axe murderers are going to hell. They think Adolf Hitler is going to hell. But they're not going to hell. You're warning them. Here's what you're also doing is you're teaching them wisdom. Now, here's the problem, though. The problem Paul's already told us in Corinthians is that the wisdom of God is what to human beings? Foolishness. Do you understand what I'm saying? They look at us as being crazy for believing that. I mean, if you tell somebody that you believe that somebody came, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died for you to pay the penalty for your sin, they're going to look at you and say, what did you eat this morning? What did you drink? Are you okay? You got a fever? They're going to think you're crazy. But he proclaimed Christ in order to warn men and to teach wisdom. Now here's the third thing. It is for the purpose of proclamation that he struggled as God empowered him. It is for this purpose that he was suffering to warn people. To warn people. Okay, so let me just stop. Let me, we're at the end of our lesson here. Just let me make a comment, okay? All of us know that we need to share the gospel, right? And let's, the gospel is Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ. But none of us like suffering, do we? How many of you like somebody, I mean, unless, I mean, unless there's something really weird wrong with you, Nobody likes having people mad at them. Okay? Nobody likes having people mad at them. And so what happens is, is in order to keep people from being mad at us, we don't what? Share. Because we don't like the rejection. Now here's what I want you to understand. Paul's saying here, it's because I share that I'm struggling that I'm going through what I'm going through. And he understood that, and he accepted that. The problem is, is you and I have to make a decision. Are we going to do what we're told to do? Because it is the Great Commission, isn't it? To go into all the world, baptizing them, teaching them all things whatsoever I've taught you. That's the Great Commission. None of us can say, oh, that's an option for me. It's not an option. But the problem is, is we make it an option because we don't like what? Suffering. Suffering. That's where Paul's at. His, he is here to reveal the mystery. Now, who's here now to reveal the mystery? 
Who's here now to reveal the mystery? Yeah, we are. We are. Okay, anybody got a question? Next week we're going to look at Paul's deep concern for them and his encouragement.